Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to Diner Talks with James. I'm James. Super excited to be with you today. As you can tell, this is already a special episode. The woman next to me, her name is Tina Van Steenbergen. I'm married to her. I win. <laughs> I'm super excited to have you all part of this episode and for you to get to meet Tina and learn a little bit more about our love and also our business. Uh, and But more on that in just a bit, my friends. Uh, we have standards here. And just because I have a guest sitting next to me as opposed to on another screen across the country, that doesn't mean we change the standards, my friends. And so now let's kick it off with tonight's Top three, top three. Tina, are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah, I can't believe it. I feel I'm very overwhelmed. This is very exciting. You're overwhelmed. Yeah, I always get to learn about the top three, top three before you do it. I'm never a part of it. Oh, okay. It's a whole other level. Oh, she nervous over here. Okay, All cool. Right. I didn't say nervous. Let's calm down. I'm <laughs> All right. overwhelmed with joy. My friends, let's talk about it. So, uh, first off, Tina, I think we should talk about the top three times that we have broken down on the road. Yeah, no, that's happened to say a few times. Perfect. Here we go. Number three is on the Brooklyn and Queens Expressway, i.e. the BQE, or as we call it, the Bisquick. Tina and I lived in Brooklyn for a number of years, happily, loved it, New York City, shout out. Uh, and uh, one time, she was driving me to the airport to La, La Garbage, i.e. LaGuardia, and uh, <laughs> we were driving over, no, I love LaGuardia, um, but we were driving over to LaGuardia, and, and then I noticed that the car was starting to buck a little bit, and then the clutch just fell to the floor in the middle of rush hour traffic on the BQE, which is one of the main arteries of New York City. Also, fun fact about the BQE, there is no shoulder so we literally just had to stay in the lane because the car just eventually stopped, had to put the flashers on. A Suburban wound up coming up behind us, flashed his lights and said, this looks like an old car. Do you mind if I just push you off the road? And we'll take it, my friends, because we saved some money on towing. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> it turns out when your car breaks down on a major highway in New York City, you don't call AAA. You call 911. And then the cops come and drive your car off the highway. That's what we learned. Uh, number two, on our way home from Minnesota to New York, we did the drive for the holidays. So we're driving back to New York where we live. We leave at like 6 a.m. because it's a 20-hour drive. So try to give ourselves the day. And two hours into Wisconsin, like rural Wisconsin, December 29th-ish, mm -hmm. um, our tire blows out. At six in the morning, mm -hmm. and James has to get out of the car and try to change said tire on the side of the highway. Bonus: it is negative twenty degrees outside. Am I being dramatic? Potentially, but it, at least it felt like negative twenty no, degrees. It, it, was, it was negative twenty it before. Was, right? Yeah, before the wind chill, it was like negative thirty-six with the wind chill. No exaggeration, which is unusual for us. Yeah, no, that's valid. But I sat in the car with Sherry, the dog, <laughs> um, and James had a really, really shitty morning. To shout out, turns out you can buy tires on Walmart. 
Yep. That's what we learned. I definitely got out there and realized my hands were going to stick to it, much like uh, a Christmas story with my tongue on the pole. And so (laughs) I decided to come back inside and call AAA. (laughs) Last but not least, the third time and the most epic time that we broke down, Tina was driving. Of course I was. We were driving through the state of Pennsylvania. Of course we were. Tina's favorite state to drive through. <laughs> and we were driving through Pennsylvania. And the same thing that happened to me on the BQE happened to Tina, one exit away from Clarion, Pennsylvania. And so the, the clutch fell to the floor. She's like, I can't get the clutch. I don't know how, I can't do anything. And we coasted over to the side. And we wound up having to spend the night in Clarion, Pennsylvania. The car spent three weeks in Clarion, Pennsylvania. Shout out to that enterprise for getting us home. They didn't pick us up. It's all a sham. That's it. The first top three, top three, my friends. Up next, Tina. May I say that you're killing it so far? Thank you so much. Sure. You should be a speaker. All right. Top three memories we didn't know that we were making. Oh, this is adorable. Top three memories we didn't know we were making. Um, One of our first trips ever together, which I think we were technically going as kind of friends. I don't know. It's all gray area at that point. Um, It was one of the first times James took me on an adventure which turns out now is a theme of our life. But we went and drove the Avenue of the Giants in Northern California. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the first times in my life that I ever traveled and saw beautiful things just because there was a day to travel and see beautiful things. And seeing them through James's eyes and James's camera and seeing these gigantic, stunning trees. It was one of the coolest days of my life. I'll never forget because I didn't know that it was going to be epic. And turns out it was indeed epic. Redwoods, worth your time. Worth it. There is wisdom in those trees, Mm. my friends. Uh, I'm not a big energy person, but for some reason, whenever I'm around redwoods or sequoias or the ocean, there's just just wisdom in it. Um, And that's cheesy, but I don't care because I love cheese. Uh, Next thing is that we were driving up to Santa Barbara. Um, for your friend's graduation with from his doctorate. And we decided to pop into this shack mm. in Malibu. I know you hear Malibu and shack. It doesn't sound like they go together. This place was a true shack on the side of the road. It just said seafood here. And we decided to pull in and we had one of the best seafood meals that we have ever had. It was one of those things where you come in and you point in the case and then they just cook it for you. But the reason why it was special is it was also BYOB. We didn't know that we were driving, um, but we sat down with these two old ladies, these two old ladies, and they befriended us and they gave us wine. And we had these amazing conversations with these individuals, but it was awesome because we had them separately and then together. And it was one of those moments where when I got back in the car, I was like, I cannot wait to extrovert for the rest of my life with you all over this country and this earth. Um, And so uh, that was a really beautiful moment. And would you do that? I mean, not now with COVID, but before that, all the time, (laughs) all the time. Uh, Number three was one of the first times we ever hung out on the road together. This was surely when we were just friends. I was doing a gig. This is back when I worked at Fired Up. Shout out to Fired Up. This is when I was a speaker for a company and I was booked to do a gig at Chapman University. James was also in LA doing work. We met up and uh, we were having coffee, I think. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you want to do this gig with me? We're both speakers. We've never spoken together like this before. Never seen you speak. You want to see me speak? Let's do this. So we sort of split the curriculum in half. James actually taught on behalf of Fired Up for the first and only time of his life. And uh, we shared the stage together for the very first time in a classroom at Chapman University for a chapter of sorority women. And the category we're doing is memories we didn't know we were making, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 
I knew he was good. Uh, I just didn't know how good. And I didn't know how powerful it was going to be to share the stage with him while he blew these young women's minds. Like he made all 38 of them weep. That's normally my department. But he just came in and like, it was insane. It was insane. The energy in the room was out of control. And it was um, it was overwhelming, the power in that room when we were able to share the stage together for the very first time. I will never forget that day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the word that I used uh, was electric. It, it truly, it was powerful. It was really special. Uh, and uh, I don't I kind of immediately saw our future as potentially owning a business together, even though we were four or five years from that even happening, we weren't even really dating yet. Um, but uh, it was one of those moments where I was like, yep, this is going to happen a lot more. So it was beautiful. Top three memories we didn't know we were making at the time. Last but not least, my friends, here are our top three disagreements. Tina, are you ready for this one? I'm ready. Perfect. I'm you're... also right. <laughs> okay, great, great. Uh, everything's fine. First off, I like to drink lukewarm water. Who likes to drink room temperature? Who chooses room temperature water when you could have ice cold water? This program is sponsored by Yeti. <laughs> Seriously, send us money. Next, I love ketchup. Ketchup is disgusting. Ketchup is disgusting. It is the worst condiment in the history of condiments. It is nasty. I don't want it on anything. I don't want it on fries. I don't want it on a bur I don't want it on anything. No. <laughs> He's lucky I buy it to keep in the fridge. No. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's fair. And then last but not least, Tina, uh, what is my favorite number? I'm so mad at you right what's now. My, what is, what's my favorite number? How did I not know you were going to do this? I'm not telling you your favorite number. My favorite number is 27, my friends. That's the amount of world championship, world series, the New York Yankees have won. Boo! <laughs> Yankees have been buying baseball for decades, centuries, garbage. Yankees destroyed my childhood too many times. No. I. My mom said to me, I don't care who you marry. Marry whoever you want in your life. I don't care what they do for a living. I don't care where they come from. Just don't marry a Yankees fan. Buckets, folks. And that's how you do it. It's okay. I mean, the Twins are coming up on 27 also. 27 you. straight playoff oh. losses. <laughs> Just another oh, couple of and years. And now we're fighting. <laughs> My friends, that is the end of top three, top three, and potentially our marriage. <laughs> But it was worth it. Mm -hmm. My friends, I now want to bring on my guest who's already here. But I want to tell you about her. To my left. To my left is Tina Ray Van Steenbergen. Tina Van Steenbergen is one of the most powerful speakers that I have ever had the opportunity to listen to, experience, and learn from. Uh, she empowers women to build, build their confidence. She believes that confidence for women is a team sport, and she believes in the power of female friendships. After not having many herself, interesting story, we will come back to. Also, she is an outrageous facilitator. She is an incredible dog mom. Sherry is back here, right, right here. She's dark. Um, <laughs> but uh, more importantly than that, uh, she is one of the few people who I let believe in me. 
Um, and she is someone who has had my back from the jump. It is so much easier for me to love Tina than it is for me to let her love me. Um, but she is, as you can tell, passionate and voracious, and she didn't take that as an answer that was acceptable. She laughs at my jokes occasionally. I call those good days. She is also an incredible woman and the mother to our soon-to-be-born child. That's it. That's it. This is actually my first presentation with our child, so I feel pretty good about how it's going so far. My friends, the one, the only, the incredible, the incomparable Tina Ray Van Steenbergen. You didn't tell me you were going to do that. Hi. That was overwhelming. Great. Let's just keep smiling through it. <laughs> Tina, what's going on? This is Diner Talks. Tina, you've heard of it. Um, late night eats are something that you enjoy. You enjoy a good late night move. What is your late night move? Now, you're a Midwesterner, born and raised Indeed. in uh, Anoka, Minnesota. Don't you know? Don't you know? And, uh, and so born and raised in the, the Halloween capital of the world. And by that, in the state of Minnesota, that's what they call it. Um, <clears throat> Look it up. It's a real thing. <laughs> so, uh, but I am, uh, I know that you are passionate about late night moves. What is your late night eating move? Are you, are you going eggs? Are you going breakfast? Are you doing a late night steak? What are you doing? Lobster? Yeah, lobster. Here in Minnesota? Yeah, lobster. Minnesota diner lobster. Yeah, that's the move <laughs> right there. Well, when I was in high school, the Midwest, I didn't know diners were a thing mm-hmm. until I went to the East Coast. So in the Midwest, we don't call them diners. We call them Perkins or Denny's. So in that situation, breakfast all day. Breakfast is my favorite food. I put a fried egg on anything. It's one of my favorite things on earth. Uh, but when I started experiencing real diners, I think I have now, and you know, as I mature mm. in my life, mm. I have mm. grown to uh, grilled cheese with bacon and tomato on a side of ranch dressing. Sure. I mean, everything with ranch. Thank you. Ketchup's garbage. We've returned. Actually, what I do is I usually will take my grilled cheese and I'll dip it in a little bit of ranch and then I'll put it in ketchup. Because your boy out here chefing at these diners, my <laughs> friends. <laughs> chefing. All right. No. So, okay. So grilled cheese with bacon is a, is a, is a classic. Yeah. Now, are you a milkshake person or are you do like, what are you, what are you drinking that at, at night? Ice cream all day. Well, this fun fact about diners, especially diners in New York City. Yeah. Uh, booze. There's alcohol at diners. The Greeks do stock their diners with booze. I didn't know in this is a thing. You want to go to a Perkins in in Minnesota and get booze. But once I learned that, if we're hitting a diner at two thirty in the morning, I'm probably going to have a glass of shitty red wine. Sometimes <laughs> even a bourbon. If they got a whole bar back there, I'm not ashamed. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to go. Yeah. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Otherwise, milkshake all day. Yeah, strawberry. Stra- oh gosh, no! By far the least. Excellent milkshake. Um, Sensing a pattern here. <laughs> but pattern. anyway, so uh, you are a bourbon girl. Though. I am. When did you become, when did you get into bourbon? When, when did that happen to your life? Grad school. Okay. Yeah, grad school. I dated a kid from Kentucky who had been a passionate bourbon drinker for a long time. And I already knew that I didn't like clear liquor. College teaches you things. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I had always been drinking, like I've been drinking whiskey, but always mixed with something, mm. which now makes me like, cringe. <laughs> I can't do that ever again. Uh, but, uh, Kevin taught me about bourbon and makers was the first bourbon that I had on the rocks. That's when I learned that water, a little bit of ice in your bourbon opens it up, makes it even sweeter, takes away some of the alcohol burn. And so that's really where I learned that I enjoyed it. And then 
as you have previously described me as passionate, mm. took the bourbon love to a whole nother level and kept trying different things and learning different things. That's beautiful. Yeah. We have a stocked, uh, we have a stock cabinet over here because of your passion for bourbon. We do. That's actually one of the things that you miss the most in pregnancy. Is that right? Oh, that's right. Yes. I think that would be true regardless, but in a global pandemic, <laughs> Yeah, I could use the bourbon. Yeah, that'd be lovely. I'll take it. Yep, on the rocks, neat. I don't care. I'll take it. That would be lovely. Yes, I do. I miss, I mean, like, yes, I miss having a drink, certainly. Um, but I also miss there's a, a little bit of a ritual to it. Mm, okay. To pouring a, a bourbon or a, a drink that you really love to drink. Um, and I just miss there was like, it's like the period at the end of the sentence, right? It's the end of the day. Mm. You've gotten through your day and now you get to... Have a treat. So now I just eat ice cream. They can't take that from me. I can't take they that. They can't take that from me. <laughs> but I do. I miss bourbon a lot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it is. It's funny. We had to lock it up, not because you were fiending for it, but just why dangle the carrot? Right. Just like staring at me. Yeah, it was rude. Like, it was like awkward. Yeah, it was giving you side eye. Yeah, for sure. it's not fair. So it goes into the cabinet. Unacceptable. Yeah. That's it. We handled that. And now uh, you have learned to enjoy a bourbon. I have. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. I did not drink my, uh, I did not drink my first drop of alcohol until around the age of 30. Um, and, uh, that was the first time I ever really had any alcohol. Um, and it was at, uh, up until I really knew you, I had, had alcohol five times. They were all champagne toasts, uh, at, uh, best man speeches that I delivered. And that was about it. And so, the alcohol was just never a huge part of my life um, and uh, for, for a number of different reasons. I mean, one, uh, the alcoholism gene runs in my family. Uh, and, uh, and so there's that. So I was a little bit scared about it. Uh, but also, uh, also, I just liked the life I was living and didn't want to drink to change myself. Uh, and so that was a big thing for me. I now have come to find that there's a little bit of control issues in there as to why I don't drink. Uh, but the previous reason sounds way cooler. So we'll stick with that. Uh, <laughs> but still, uh, but yeah, but then you came around and you introduced me to bourbon. Yeah. And here, Tina. Here's the yeah. funny thing about alcohol is that here's what they don't tell you. Most people start drinking in high school and things like that. And, uh, and they start drinking in high school or maybe college or something like that. And so they're drinking all the cheap stuff because that's all that they can afford. And but everybody's doing it, so everybody's just doing it, and no one really cares that it's a Keystone Light or that it's a you know a a plastic bottle or something on the bottom shelf. They're just like this is alcohol. We are supposed to consume this social norms and also uh, a sense of um, uh, what you calls it's uh, uh, self esteem um, <laughs> and so insecurities. That was the word. But they got used to the taste of alcohol. So now when those individuals come to love other alcohols, they're actually picking up all these notes. And so you and I went on the bourbon trail yeah. and it was an amazing experience, went to seven or eight wineries and by, by wineries, I mean, distilleries. Uh, we didn't go to the wineries on the bourbon trail and uh, clearly I'm an alcoholic, <clears throat> but uh, so, uh, but it was fascinating because they're always like, what do you, what do you taste in here? What are the notes that you're picking up in here? And some people are like, oh, I'm getting some dark chocolate. Oh, I'm getting some, uh, mm. I'm getting a little bit of tobacco. Oh, I'm getting a little Coffee. bit of chestnut caramel. Mm. Oh, I'm getting some vanilla, right? And I'm over here like, the number one flavor I'm getting is rubbing alcohol. Is anybody else picking up the rubbing alcohol in this? <laughs> it's kind of like, it's, it's very similar, except I, I like, I now like bourbon more than I like flavored waters. 
but you love these flavored water things, Lacroix and Spindrift and Bubbly. This podcast has brought you to buy all those flavored waters, <laughs> by the way. Um, but still, uh, you enjoy yourself a flavored water. I do. I do. Uh, Spindrift is a superior experience, but I do. Yeah. I Here's resisted a, it for a long can time. We ha- can we have a moment about flavored water? Let's. It's literally like someone did a drive-by with a strawberry on the factory. That was just carbonated water. A strawberry drove by and they're like, market it. <laughs> I disagree with you. But I also especially thoroughly enjoy the bubbly water in pregnancy since I can't pick up the notes of your delightful bourbon. I'm going to pick up this strawberry note and take it to the bank. That's all I got. That's it. That's all I can have. I'm sure there's some flavored water people out here loving this. Flavored water is delightful. And it's mostly for the bubbles more for me more than anything else mm-hmm. because I don't drink soda as much as I used to. But mm-hmm. like a good cold carbonated beverage is lovely yeah i agree can't with that. drink diet mountain dew every day i agree with that that's true yeah no that's that's not gonna happen no. uh, make your ball shrink <clears throat> so yeah that's um, what i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> tina i don't i don't want to be the one who tells you this but i will be good this is already this is this feels good you're pregnant i am um, yeah <laughs> i am uh how how does it feel? Now let's let's back all the way up because motherhood is something mm-hmm. that you have always been interested in. Mm-hmm. Like literally, maybe the second or third time that we ever spent any significant amount of time together, we were about to get up after a lovely sit in an art and uh, a sculpture gallery in Minnesota. And sorry, it's already false. It's already is it six months? It was six months in. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. It wasn't third date. Six months. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. That's fair. That's totally fair. I mean, it's, yeah, okay. Matt's right. Um, but uh, but you you pull you pull me aside. And say, hey, before we go anywhere, um, I just want you to know that being a mother is something that I've always wanted to do. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it's something that I believe that is. I, I think I'm going to be good at it. It's something that I really want in my life. And you said, if being a father isn't on your list, then we may need to talk about what we're doing a little bit differently here. And I respected the hell out of that, right? I mean, first off, clarity always. And your ability to come up with clarity of like, this is what I want. If you don't want this, then we need to course correct, i.e. probably break up. Um, But still, but still, since when did you know that you wanted to be a mother? Like when was, when did that something that happened to you? That's a good question. I don't know that I know. I don't know that I know. I was a little girl who loved dolls, American girl dolls for life, taking care of them. All right. Uh, taking care of them. That was so as a, as a small child, that was always something that was a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually a huge Barbie fan, which is a little crazy if you know me now. But wow, like a gigantic is... Barbie person. Which... You hate you hate hot pink. I really don't like the color pink and pastel pink. Yeah, there's some pink, but I, yeah, it's but I've come a long way. Again, maturity. It's mm. delightful. Mm. Um, but I don't. I, so I don't even know that I can pinpoint for you like a moment. Yeah. But I know that all through high school, college, I never knew what I was going to be when I grew up change my major every semester of college. Uh, and even well into my twenties, I didn't never know if I was going to get married because I didn't never know that I, 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 there were compromises in my life that I was unwilling to make. And so I didn't know if I was ever going to have a husband, but I knew I was going to be a mom. 
I have known that for most of my life that I, I will, whether I have kids physically or I adopt kids or foster kids or Ray, I will be a mom. That has been one identity of which I've been sure. Yeah. When all the rest of them were question marks. That's beautiful. So it wasn't something, I feel like there are a lot of women that are societally pressured and told you will be a mother. You are here to be a mother, right? Which is extremely disrespectful. Um, but uh, that is something that women are told. Was that something that you were told uh, when you were younger? Is that something that you remember not necessarily being pressured towards, but something that's like, you know, it's not like you went to college to get your MRS, right? Um, no, <laughs> does, I did not. Uh, but still. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't remember feeling that way. And the reason I think I know that I didn't, I was never told is because I don't like to be told what to do. And so most of the things that society has told me I'm supposed to do or have to do, I reject fervently. Uh, and so I don't believe that it was something that was expected of me in that department. Yeah. I know like my high school boyfriend and I talked about having kids when we were 20 mm -hmm. because I grew up in a suburb where you mostly stayed and you had kids young and you become a teacher at your old high school, right? And you just sort of fall into the life that you knew. Mm -hmm. And so I, but again, it wasn't a Tina, you will have my babies kind of conversation, right? It was a, I want to be a mom too. Let's figure this out. Um, whenever people ask me why, I just come back to, I think it's because I have a really badass mom. You I do. think that's why. You do I indeed. think that's watching my mom be a mom. And, and I, of course, I, at 16, I didn't realize how good of a mom she was. <laughs> it's one of those things you certainly <laughs> figure out later in your life. But um, I think watching my mom, mom was part of what made it feel right for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially as someone who's raised predominantly by a single parent, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you're, I mean, your mom is a workhorse yes. um, and is an incredible individual. I mean, you know this, it, I mean, we got, we got me out of New York city, which we didn't think was ever going to happen. I sure as hell didn't think was going to happen. Um, but one of the things that was, that was easy for me to swallow in coming here because we came to Minnesota with the idea of trying to, uh, of wanting to start a family. Um, one of the biggest proponents for me in wanting to come here was your mother um, and, and just how good of an individual and human that she is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny because if we told her, if she was listening right now, the excuses would be coming a fly in. It would be like, I was a great mother because I had great children. That's not really how science works, unfortunately. <laughs> Neither nature nor nurture, actually. Um, but uh, but she tries to get out of the compliments. And, you know, I mean, she's a good Midwestern life. She's impressive. She's impressive. Yeah. I do. I think, yeah, I think knowing that made it easier for both of us, I think, to come here was knowing that my mom would be a more present yeah. physical part of our life. Mm -hmm. And I think my mom's parenting was a big push for me. I also think on the reverse side, um, my biological father is not a part of my life, hasn't been for a very long time, is mm -hmm. just generally speaking, not a good person. And see how sometimes you want to do the job somebody else did because they were great at it and they inspired you and made you want to do the job. And sometimes you do the job because you had a really shitty version of that job in your life and you want to go course correct and like yeah. fix it, right? So like for as wonderful as my mom was, my dad was not. And so I think, that's probably part of the other call to parent. It was mm -hmm. like, I know what it feels like to have a shitty parent and I want to like course correct, right? I want to like make up for that in the world. I want to like give love to children in the way they're supposed to be loved, right? So that I think there's there's probably both sides to that coin Yeah. in it for me. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's so interesting where some of the, we pick up some of those lessons that we don't know that we're learning, right? I mean, our, our parents or those that raised us planted seeds that uh, they wish grew faster, <laughs> but sometimes they didn't sprout until I was 34, um, you know, hypothetically. Um, but still, like they still, they were in there and then they eventually did pop up. And you're like, oh, I remember, a man told me that one day. Yeah, that man yeah. may have been my father. Um, but it's so interesting for sure, where we pick up some of those, those lessons. And so, uh, we now have the opportunity to be parents, yeah. which is exciting. Um, and this is not our first opportunity to be parents. No. Um, you and I, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately have uh, had a pregnancy. We've experienced pregnancy loss. Um, and no pregnancy loss is the same. Um, and, uh, and ours was... Uh, ours was very devastating for a number a number of reasons. Um, I mean, ultimately, it was one of those things where it. I would say the pregnancy happened just a little bit before we were ready, right? We were like, we we're like, man, this maybe like six months later, this would have been perfect. Yeah. Um, but uh, you you can't you can't help when things like that happen. I mean, you can technically, but still, <laughs> uh, we thought we had helped, uh, but still, it happened, and so. So at first you get nervous and at first you're like, is this what we want? Is this, are we going to be okay? We weren't planning. We weren't anythinging. Um, and, and then it happened. And then we made the decision, you know, eight weeks in to be like, no, let's go. Let's figure, when are you ever ready for this? It's something that everybody tells you. When are you ever ready for this? And then um, unfortunately uh, and devastatingly for you and I, uh, around 20 weeks, uh, well into the second trimester, um, we lost uh, we lost our child, and it was uh, I will never forget being in the hospital and hearing the silence of the nurses. Yeah, the silence of the nurses and the and then the whispering to the doctor, and yeah. then uh, we'll be right back. Yeah. And uh, I gotta have somebody take a second look and and whatnot. Uh, and it was. Uh, I will never forget the silence because you and I just had a banging lunch at one of our favorite places. Okay. Shout out to El Centro um, and getting them Chilaquiles, still our Wi-Fi name. And okay. uh, and so, uh, but we went in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed yeah. and really excited. And because we had committed at that point, we had already started making plans to move to, to, to Minnesota. I had already started looking at daycare centers and things like that. And, uh, and so... And then the whole rug was just pulled from out from under us. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious for you. What was it like? What was it like to be so close to, 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 to almost having this lifelong idea that you knew that you wanted in your life? And then just to have it completely ripped away of nobody's faults other than an absolute freak genetic one in 60 or $80,000 chance. Uh, yeah. Turns out we're very lucky um, yeah. uh, in the saddest way. Um, but I, what was that like in that moment? I guess this idea of like, oh, I can, I can have it. And then we can't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't, I am a different person because of what happened to us and because of that loss. I'm not, I'm not the same human that I was before, which is interesting for me to say, because I'm a super self-aware yeah. 
person, yes. somebody who knows who I am and I'm confident in my, right? Like, um, and, and so to have, right. And they say motherhood changes you, right? Like we know we, we are, at least we, I understand the idea of it. Right. Um, and so to, to start to wear the identity, start to put on the hat of motherhood, right. Yes. To start to make decisions like parents, like to, for us to leave Brooklyn and move out of our 600 square foot apartment, right. Big for decision. us to, yeah. for us to start to make decisions about blocking my calendar, which sounds silly, but our work is such a huge part of our life. And so start to allow yourself to start to dream. And many pregnant women, I of course can't speak for everybody, but many pregnant women don't really allow themselves to dream until they make it out of the first trimester because Mm -hmm. there's so much that could go wrong in the first trimester. And because it was a surprise pregnancy for us, I was not, I did not allow myself to experience any joy, any enthusiasm until we were out of the first trimester because yeah. it was so scary. The whole thing was scary. Mm-hmm. And then we got out of the first trimester and I was like, Oh shit. Okay. We're going to have a baby. We got ourselves a live one. <laughs> right. Yeah, right? exactly. I'm, I'm going to be a mom. Right. Yes. Um, and start to put the pieces of that life of ours together. Yeah. I subscribed to fatherly.com's <laughs> yeah. blog. I was like, I got to do yeah. some reading. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're not. Yeah. And there's several moments in our trauma that I will never forget. And one of them was the day after all of our procedures and things like that. And when you become pregnant, it becomes this like huge part of your identity because it literally shifts everything about the way that you live your life, including how often you use the bathroom and <laughs> what clothes you're allowed to wear. Like it shifts everything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was sitting on the couch and I was like, I'm not pregnant anymore. Mm-hmm. And even that, like, I don't even know that I got to, I don't get to be a mom. Cause I was still stuck in that. I'm oh, not even yeah. pregnant anymore. That's real. And that like that physical, right. That was really, that was the first, like, whoa, everything in our world has changed. And then because I couldn't have this identity that I wanted, I like, compartmentalized it and pushed it all the way to the back of the closet. Yeah. And I said to you, I said to the agency I was working with at the time, I was like, if I don't get to have a kid, I want to work harder than I've ever worked in my life. Like I want to do more gigs than <laughs> I've ever done in my life. Like if I don't get to do this, then I'm going to do this instead. Yes. And, and our baby was supposed to be due in March of 2019. Mm-hmm. And in 2019, I think it had 77 yes. speaking engagements. Correct. And I just dove headfirst into that because I couldn't, have the other part it was literally like i'm gonna do i'm gonna work more than i've ever worked i'm gonna bust my ass yeah and just then i'm diving into what i have yes um and uh and then like cue the movie montage of like and so she did (laughs) (laughs) like all of these lives getting impacted uh by you it was really um it was it was a really interesting time for us yeah. and interesting is the only word that I know how to describe it because it was devastating. Um, it, it was absolutely devastating and horrific. Um, and it also made us fall in love even deeper. Yes. A thousand um, percent. And uh, you know, there's, there's times where loss can push you apart, right? Yes. The different grieving patterns and, and, and whatnot. And, and so, uh, but uh, this did not. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and we really did, we, we pointed the ship at our businesses and we said, well, let's, let's bust it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is, uh, 
it's incredible. It's one of those things where I, I want to celebrate you because of what you did, but it's also sometimes like when you celebrate an athlete that like endured, he, he won the finals on a torn ACL. He's like, he shouldn't have been playing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like, yeah. it's kind of like the things that we choose to celebrate as strength are oftentimes a little bit weird when you actually unpack them. Sure. Um, but that is indeed what you did is you, I mean, that is, that's where you found your strength or your, like you said, your compartmentalization. Um, and it was really incredible uh, to witness. Um, but you also took the moments that you needed to take. And that's what, that's what I admire about you is also is that it wasn't just like, screw it, I'm gone, right? Like you still had these moments where you let your heart feel what your heart was feeling. Um, and we let loss happen to us um, and, and things like that. Um, and so I, I still don't know how you were able to juggle it all um, because as as the man in a relationship, uh, in, in, uh, in a relationship like ours, <clears throat> uh, turns out nothing, I mean, very minimal things are happening to me genetically sure. and, and scientifically and inside, right? Like not a lot's changed. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll also have some more ice cream because it's the right thing to do, but uh, nothing chemically changed within me. Yeah. We call that biological privilege in this house. Oh, hang on. you mean to tell me that men have privilege? Listen, it's, a whole, it's a whole other podcast. I guess we'll baby. come back to that. It's idea. a whole other podcast. <laughs> But yes, for sure, we got another example of, of male privilege. And so, uh, but yeah, it was, um, it, it was, it was incredible to witness, uh, but also uh, like it was a little bit eggshell of like, sure. what, do, what do you need right now? Yeah, um, I bet it was hard. And I can't, I think one of the reasons that we were able to remain close or even grow closer was because of the way that you showed up to support me. And just an authentically James way of like, what do you need right now? How can I help? Let me cry when I need to cry. Let me not talk about it when I need to not talk about it, right? There weren't, you let me sort of write the rules in that department, which I needed. And I don't know that you, I don't think you're wired to do it any other way. But I also think a lot about how hard it must be to watch somebody go through something that you understand, yeah. but don't fully empathize with just because there's pieces of it didn't happen to your body. Sure. Right. It happened to our family. It happened to you as much as it happened to me, but the physical pieces of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of the hormonal pieces of it. Um, it's just different, right? Like you yeah. knew we were having a baby versus feeling physically that, right. It's just different. Correct. Um, and so to watch, and you know, you mentioned not being able to have control, right. But to watch the person that you love the most in the world be in pain that you understand but can't fully empathize with. Mm -hmm. I think often about how hard that must have been for you to just try to navigate. Like, how do you, how do you, I didn't even know what I needed. I couldn't even have told you if you'd asked. Right. So yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm obnoxiously I'm, grateful. Well, I'm glad we brought that up because I was hoping this segment would be about me. <laughs> You're the worst. So uh, uh, I think we, I think that one went well. I think that one went well. Uh, <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Just. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> so yeah. here's the cool thing, right? Is that, is that, you know, we obviously that, that, that happened to us. We experienced that loss. We took the time we needed to take. And then, uh, and then we, there came a time where we're like, you know what, let's try again. 
a mutual decision um, in, in a beautiful place. And also we went to Italy for a month. So we're like, this feels like a good place to at least try and practice. Right. Um, and so, uh, I mean, you know, you got a hunk of a mozzarella over here. Am I right? Whoa. Am I right? Oh my gosh. Remember when he said I only laugh at some of his jokes? <laughs> Not that one. Oh, well, it'll, it'll come around. Yeah, yeah, so, <clears throat> but uh, we are now at the place where, you know, it took us a while for that again to work. Sure. Um, and, uh, and there was, there was again, some doubt and like, well, it happened last time. Well, it didn't happen this time, but now uh, we get to be parents. Yeah. And that's pretty insane. Yeah. This, this, uh, this little human is, is coming out um, in early January, ideally. Um, fingers you know, crossed. Between the two of us, certainly will be someone who shows up on time and follows all the rules. Absolutely. So yeah, this feels like that'll happen yeah. right on time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> so, um, but uh, now that it is now that we are, we have passed the twenty week mark, which is really huge for us. We didn't tell anybody until after twenty weeks because of what had happened to us prior. Um, so now that after the twenty week mark, we have gotten to where. We are. We are now. We just crossed into the third trimester, which is overwhelming. Um, so now, like, it's happening. Yeah, turns out, right? Like, like the landing gear is coming yeah. out. Yeah. The runway is in sight. We got to use travel analogies yeah, for you and I. Yeah. And uh, right, the flaps are coming up. Except, are you talking about my body like I'm an airplane? Anyway, <laughs> so I think that the point is, <laughs> the point is, is that this is happening. How does it feel? right now, knowing that we are T minus three months from holding a little person. Uh, I don't know how many times, are we, if we're playing a drinking game for how many times I say the word overwhelming on the podcast, because that's where we're at right now. I don't. You got um, a big interesting count going for me, great. so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's um, and for those of you who have been pregnant, I would imagine that you'll empathize with this. I feel like I've been pregnant forever. <laughs> and how was there only three months left? Like, just, like uh, to be in the same place and feeling both of those emotions at the same time is overwhelming. Um, I think for me, you know, as a part of our healing mm -hmm. from our loss, um, and a part of trying to get pregnant, which trying to get pregnant is an incredibly for some people is a very easy thing. And for several other people is not, mm -hmm. um, and it's hard and painful and complicated and confusing and a whole lot of things. And our journey to getting here was not easy. And at one point you said to me, which I don't think is ever easy for a partner or a close friend to say to anybody, but you said to me, I wonder if it's time for you to talk to somebody. Mm. I, I, I mean this in the kindest, most loving way possible, but it feels like you're in the stress of trying to get pregnant is really overwhelming you right now. And I wonder if it's time for you to talk to somebody. I'm like telling anybody that it's time to talk to a counselor. It's like not an easy conversation to have, especially not when that person is your wife. Yeah. And especially not when that person I'm is. I'm going to need to see you tomorrow. <laughs> especially because we were quarantined. Oh, like yeah. this was like yeah, March. That's real. that's real. And so it was like, difficult bomb to diffuse. It was a, there was a bold move. Sorry. It was a bold move. Um, and I did not enjoy it for the first 24 hours. Um, I think we, did. those were a quiet 24 it was hours. quiet in our house, which is not normally a word to describe our house. Quiet up town. Oh, yeah. Keep going. yeah. Okay. Um, and starting to talk to a counselor 
for me started with trauma work Mm. and like reliving the trauma that we had experienced in our pregnancy loss. This has a point, I promise, because part of the trauma work was allowing myself to finally admit what I wanted without being afraid. And so this counselor that I'm working with had me do, had us do a meditation. And the question that was asked over and over again for 13 minutes straight of this meditation was, when you think about the life that you want, what do you see? And over and over and over again, all I could think about was some nurse or doctor putting a tiny human in our arms. Mm-hmm. And I don't know without you saying, Tina, it's probably time for you to talk to somebody without me doing that work, without that counselor making some of those suggestions. I don't even know that I'd be able to tell you right now yeah. that being less than three months away from that tiny human actually being placed in our arms is I'm like, I'm not scared labor. I'm scared of <laughs> that. Shit's terrifying. <laughs> But like, I'm, I'm maybe more confident mm-hmm. about this than about starting our, my business or going into business together or when I get on stage and do my job. Like, I just know I have finally let myself, after all that we've experienced, accept the fact that this is what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I just, I know it. And I, I'm... Of course, I'm not ignorant or naive to how hard and scary it's going to be, but I just know that it's what we're supposed to be doing. I just, I, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be amazing and terrifying and exhausting and overwhelming and all things. But (laughs) (laughs) I also think it's going to be, it's, it's what we're supposed to do. So I think it's uh, overwhelming and really wonderful, positive badass ways yeah yeah i agree with you i mean i think uh you know i oscillate between overwhelmed overwhelmed and very excited and uh oh it's cool it's wednesday right like (laughs) it's it's this weird mix of things where it's like again nothing's happening to me and so I'm like, oh, what's on my calendar today? What, 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 what do I want to do and be unhindered doing? Um, right? Like, and so there's days like that where I'm like, oh, shoot, right. Having a baby. What do we need to do? What's going on? I got to do this. Um, and uh, fortunately, I love to research things, right? Yes. Like I, I create my own consumer reports. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, so like I love to do that. And that's where I dive in. That's where I try to be helpful um, and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, but... I think it's also that's my little ways of, of trying to control certain things too, right? Like which one of these strollers is not going to kill my kid um, kind of thing. And so, um, but also, uh, but also overwhelmed. And I think for me, what the overwhelmed, the, the overwhelmed side of it comes from two pieces. And I really love, I love, I love what you shared. I think for me, when I think about, uh, when I think about the overwhelmed piece of it, it comes in, in two pieces. The first one is, oh my God, my life, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. Like we live a really cool life. Yeah. We get to travel. We get, you know, I mean, you and I have a goal and when this is our, this is our goal also when, when the kid comes, um, but we have a goal of living somewhere else on this earth for at least four to five weeks a year. Right. Um, and, uh, and that's a goal that we will do with our child as well. We've already started talking about it and that's amazing. Um, but we also travel a butt ton for work and whatnot. And so, 
one thing that you always hear about with 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 parents is that presence matters. Right. And uh, and so, but it's like, but something also that you hear about with parents is that if you love what you're doing, if you love what you're doing, then that energy gets transferred into your house, sure. right? Because you're coming home and you're happier and you're, right, you're feeling fulfilled. And we, we can tell when we are next to somebody who is fulfilled and we mm -hmm. want that for them. Mm -hmm. And so it's this weird push-pull of a situation. And so there's that overwhelm side of it. And then the other overwhelming part of it for me is, is, how do you raise a kid in 2020, 2021, 2030, 2035, right? Like, I mean, I know for me, you're younger than me, uh, but like for me, I didn't, you know, I got my first cell phone in college um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I got my first email address. It was, I think I've shared it on the podcast before. It's like 746208 <laughs> at CompuServe.com. Uh, it was not something I could choose. <laughs> and so, uh, but it is, um, it's, you know, just the idea of parenting when there's so many things that you can try to control as a parent. But at the end of the day, you also need to trust, right? Where do you let your kids, your kids learn? Where do you let them take their licks? Where do we know that failure also is one of life's greatest teachers? Sure. And so that balance of, of loving at the same time teaching uh, and at the same time uh, – at, at the same time, like wanting them to be independent, right? Sure. That's something that my parents instilled big time in us is that, you know, from, from an early age, they said, we're raising you to be independent, right? And there's been a lot of pros to the way that they did that. Sure. Um, my brothers and I are, are all quite independent. Um, I don't think we talk as much because of it, but that's fine. We're working on it. Um, and, but still, uh, I think that, uh, um, I think there, there's a fierceness and in independence that's really badass. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. So I guess those are like when I think about my emotions coming into it, that's where that's where I'm at. Sure. And I'm also excited. I mean, let me not just sit on the, yeah. the overwhelming side is easiest to talk about because our nerves are sitting here playing sure. ping pong. But I'm also I'm also excited about the opportunity to try to raise a man in a society that needs good men. Right. Or to try to raise a woman in a society that needs great women. Yeah. Right. And try to raise a human in a society that needs a great human sure. is really uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about that part of it. Yeah. And I think that's one of my favorite things about the difference between you and I and the way our brains work. Mm -hmm. For our strengths quest folks out there, one of James's top five strengths is futuristic. So like when James said that we did that program together and he saw us going into business together five years, my brain was not there. My brain was like, he's so hot. Like that's all I got. That's where my brain is at because futuristic is like in my bottom five strengths. I wrap my brain around my calendar tomorrow when we're done filming tonight. Like that's it. And so my brain hasn't even gotten to like what happens when it's cell phone time and like how do you raise a kid and what's all this technology and like, how do you create a good little person in the world, right? Yeah. Like my brain is very much in the, how are we going to make sure that we effectively communicate while there's a screaming human five mm -hmm. feet from us, sure, right? Or uh, making sure that I ask for help because I can very easily be like, no, I got it. I'm super independent. I'll handle it by myself. Mm -hmm. But I don't need to do that because I have this incredible person helping do this with me, yeah. right? And so- I love that your brain is thinking about all those things because by the time my brain catches up, you'll be like, I've been thinking about this since 2020. Let me tell you what I think. <laughs> Let me pull and, it out of my satchel. And that'll be perfect because my brain has not 
even begun to process that my brain is in yeah. like what is survival mode in the first three months look like like how are we going to physically do this uh, that is where my brain is living right now and that's I think one of the cool things about the way that we balance each other is that I don't my brain isn't 10 years ahead of us mm-hmm. and yours is and that helps us in several ways I hope so it doesn't help my nerves. Um, sure. That's for sure. <laughs> that <sounds overwhelming. laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, um, I think it. I think it does help. But we do have that interesting kind of push pull in our relationship. Yeah, you think about our, yeah where the kiddo's going to go to college, yep. and I'll figure out how to change a diaper, and then we'll teach each other. In so I'm in. Uh, go team. <laughs> Handled it. I think we're good here. Checking the parenting box. Boom. So, Tina, we do a segment in this show that I would like to do with you right now. Uh, And that segment is called Things That You Didn't Know About Me That You Are Now Glad You Did. You do. You did. You do. Here's something you need to know, (laughs) Tina, is that I'm not good at grammar and the name of the segment of the show changes every single time. (laughs) But the premise stays the same, and that's maybe all that matters. Right. So uh, you and I will share some random facts about ourselves, um, and then uh, yeah, just just some just some random things just to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, if you will. Mm, mm-hmm, mm, of course, mm-hmm. for sure. So you go first. Okay, right? I'll go first. Right. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> uh, when I was younger, i.e., high school, I had a crush on any girl that wore Victoria's Secrets Love Spell perfume. <laughs> I knew that about you, but hearing you tell the world is better. No, that was worth it. Yeah, 100%. I knew that about him because we walked past Victoria's Secret at a mall once. And then I, to which I responded, you were that guy? Oh, calm down, Aquadigio. I mean, first of all, I wore Britney Spears, get it together, but that's not the point. (laughs) Um, For... Eight years okay. ish. I played the oboe. Fun fact. You played the oboe. Play the oboe. Why did you why did you decide to play the oboe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, go ahead, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. In sixth grade, at least that's when it was for us. They in music class, you get to try all kinds of instruments. You get to try the strings and you get to try horns and you get to try woodwinds and try to figure out what you want. And we got to hold an oboe and somebody played it for us. And they said, but don't worry, nobody chooses the oboe. You either start on the flute or the clarinet and you eventually get to an oboe, but no sixth grader starts on an oboe. I'd like an oboe, please. (laughs) Give me the oboe. So my poor family, there's a reason. That's a squeaky instrument. 12-year-olds should not learn how to play the oboe. There is a reason. Uh, but it, so my, my mom, especially <laughs> I was a survivor of that. Although my little sister's here commenting. So I'm sure she's got some thoughts about the oboe growing imagine. up. Uh, but yes, I played the oboe because somebody told me that I couldn't. So that's it. On. Yeah. See previous comments about her not being told what she can and can't do. Uh, <laughs> uh, double the read, double the trouble. Uh, you know, that's, that's, what, that's they what they say, right? That's what they say. Yeah. You're a mess. All right. Work. I'm working on We're workshopping <laughs> everything over here. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> uh, fun fact about me. I played the trumpet. Now my brother, Brian is a world-class trombone player. Um, it was in the number one marching band in the country and was like number one trombone in said band and like really was crushing it with the trombone. Ya boy <laughs> was last seat 
in the mediocre band in high school in trumpet, much to the chagrin of my father. Uh, and I am sorry, Dad. Yeah, it's, <laughs> practice makes perfect. Not practicing makes terrible. And uh, so I went on that side of it. But here's the thing. Everybody, literally, I had a buddy of mine who now works for NASA, who now works for NASA. He broke his uh, he broke his foot or leg or foot playing football. And uh, and so he was number two chair. Like number, like all the way on that oh, side. He had he had the fancy see? silver trumpet. Those um, kids were and, fancy. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah they were those kids were fancy. So anyway, so uh, but he broke his leg, and so now he couldn't walk all the way across the risers on these crutches. And so he sat down with me. That's where he and I really became good friends. Oh my god! And uh, and he was like, "Yo, this is so much fun down here." <laughs> and he intentionally blew his audition. And he and I hung out <laughs> the last two seats of trumpet and had a great time. Of course he did. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's perfect. That's fair. I'm glad I now know that story. There it is. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> um, fun facts about me. I have two tattoos and I still have my tongue pierced. Two tattoos, and you, you have two, two, ta- two, two tattoos. Two, two tattoos. I do have two tattoos. <laughs> can you uh, show the people the one on your inner arm? I can. Because the other one, you're not flexible. The other one's enough. on my foot, and I can't do that. Yeah. Mostly because I'm pregnant, but I also don't think I could do it if I was Tell people pregnant. about this one. It's beautiful. Uh, this one says, nevertheless, she persisted. Mm-hmm. And it is in my mother's handwriting. And my sister has the same one. That's beautiful. Yeah. You love it. You love it. For sure. <clears throat> um, Two more plant, at least one with my other my sister. So well, I mean, we gotta celebrate our RBG, RBG. the way gotta, she needs to be celebrated. Do it. Gotta do it. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Uh, I do not have any tattoos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have thought about getting my grandfather's signature. I was named after my grandfather. That'll be my fun fact. My grandfather is James Taylor. Not the singer, but it turns out we do love the singer. <laughs> yeah. And mom sang Rockabye Sweet Baby James to me growing up. Insert the awe moment here. And uh, but <laughs> um, but my grandfather is my hero. Um, he rose up to being second in command of the NYPD. He helped bring down Son of Sam. He was there for the uh, the Harlem riots, the subway fires, and a lot of these iconic New York moments. Um, and uh, beyond that, he just was a man who did the right thing always. Um, and he's just an incredible, a tr- the definition of lead by example, uh, humble man. And uh, so I thought about getting his signature tattooed on my forearm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the closest I've ever come to a tattoo is thinking about that. <laughs> Will you do it? I don't think so. I don't think, I'm not sure. I don't know. I oscillate back and forth. I don't need it. Sure. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not one of those things where it's like, I need this. So I, I, my life would be incomplete without it. Well, sure. But if we had that thought process, we'll be shopped for furniture. Um, we'd, our, our house. Let's, let's not let's not talk about furniture <laughs> shopping right now. All right, we are we are large Americans. Plus size folks need quality, expensive furniture. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying the fact that the, the the reason is I don't need it is not normally a reason something doesn't happen in our household. That's not typically the like. Let's not get into the okay, details. Cool. Um, <laughs> all right, let's jump back in, Tina. Okay. So, um, so what is what is one thing that you are excited to teach your child? Oh, that's badass. What is one thing you're excited to teach your child? Takes a slow sip. Mm-hmm. Perfectly timed. So can I tell a story? Mm-hmm. Please. 
Uh, I'm a professional speaker after all. Um, when I was, I don't know, seventh, eighth grade, uh, it was really trendy to have your initial, your first initial on a necklace. You know this is true because now it's coming back because it was true in the 90s and now it is fashion again to have your initial. And so I told my mom for Christmas, all I wanted was a T to put on a necklace and to wear my initial around my neck like all the cool girls who also wore Britney Spears perfume. Um, that's all I wanted. And then Christmas came and there was a little tiny box with a charm underneath in it, underneath the tree with my name on it. This is my ticket. This is it. I'm going to be popular now. Uh, and I opened it on Christmas Day, and it was a K. So close. Spoiler alert. My name is not Christina, nor does it start with a K. There's not a K initial in any. There's not even a K in my name. And there's a lot of letters in my name. K is not one of them. Mm -hmm. And I was so confused. And tried really hard not to be a dick, but in my brain, I was like, what the? Like, mom, one job. <laughs> it was, I didn't know that I needed to tell you my initial when I said I wanted my initial. P.S. My first initial is your first initial. So, like, <laughs> how did we miss this here? And so I just looked at her confused and said, it's a K. And, you know, this is returning to the point that my mom's an incredible human being. She said, some version of, Tina, we don't need any other reasons in our life to think of ourselves. We think about ourselves every day. What we need in our lives are more reasons to think about other people. And so the K stands for kindness. Because every time you would touch it and think of yourself, I would rather you touch it and think about being kind to other people. <laughs> Ma <laughs> wow. Thanks, mom. Got it. <laughs> Life lesson unlocked. Jesus. So that word uh, means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Kindness. And kindness is different than being nice. Yeah. And kindness is different than doing the right thing. Right? Kindness is about treating people with love and respect. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm... I don't know that I'm going to get our child a charm with the wrong letter on it to teach some <laughs> massive point on Christmas morning at 6 a.m. But like the idea that if you are going to interact with humans in this world, you should do it with kindness. Yeah. I'm excited to teach our kid that. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really beautiful. What about you? I'll, I'll answer the questions. Man. I'll ask the questions <laughs> around here. Thank you. Okay. Let's just slow down here. <clears throat> well, I think the first thing that I will teach, Scott brings up a good point up here. Um, and uh, the first thing that I will, I think, teach our kid is that it is duck, duck, gray goose. Duck, duck, gray duck. Duck, duck, goose. Duck, duck, gray duck. No. Yes, Scott. You no me. one knows. No one else knows. Can you explain duck, duck, gray duck? Because there's only one state that does this. Let me pause for a second. We're still coming back to what lesson you'd like to teach our child. I and mean, we'll do see. this a lot and try we'll to see. convince your guests to move on and then they don't come back. I'm not a guest. <laughs> I live here. So we'll come back to that. Okay. Um, the game duck, duck, gray duck is a game played by children everywhere. Just named wrong. In other places in the country. In Minnesota, we called my whole life, it has been Duck, Duck, Gray Duck. And then I remember traveling someplace else and her little kids were like, Goose, Goose. I was like, You're playing the game wrong. Your six year old sucks. Like, he's totally screwing this up. I don't know what game he's playing. 
And then I don't know why I have my theories. I don't know why it is Duck Duck Great Duck in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I genuinely be- don't you put Dennis Campbell up there as propaganda. I genuinely <laughs> believe it is because just because he's a gray duck doesn't mean he's not a duck. He still belongs with the rest of the ducks. He's just a different color and still matters. We're teaching race relations here to small children in Minnesota. Nope. That's not true. But it would be, how dope would it be if it was true? But then when we play the games, instead of saying, we go duck, duck, and then you go purple duck, green duck, and then you like trick these kids out and they think they're going to get called because they think you're going to say gray duck, but you're saying green or grape or whatever. It's so much more fun this way. It's duck duck gray duck. We'll see. I guess we'll come back to that conversation. Yeah. Clearly, we're not ready. Great. While we wait, why don't you tell us what lesson you'd like to teach our child? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, right away. Yeah, right. let me just Thank think you. of that really quick. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah. could have been thinking of it during the middle of your <laughs> the great, duck, great, duck, your great duck monologue. <laughs> <laughs> How much more fun does that sound to play duck, duck, great duck? So much more fun. Don't answer. I know I, the answer. I come from an efficient part of the country. We don't need these extra syllables. Um, efficient is, that is the word I would use to describe New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. That is true. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> with that being said, what is something that I am excited to teach our child? Uh, I am excited to teach our, uh, <clears throat> I'm excited to teach our child that it is more important uh, to do what is right than to be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited to teach our child more that it is more important to, uh, to, to do what is right than to be right. Um, and, and that comes from a number of different places. For me, uh, I think that um, one thing that I've noticed, first off, what's happening a lot in our society um, is that, you know, with the echo chambers of social media and with uh, race relations and with what, whatever the hell is happening with the Supreme Court and politics and all of that kind of stuff, um, individuals are more interested in uh, in being right than they are what is right. And we can tell that in the way that they don't listen to each other. Mm-hmm. We can tell that in the way that, like it goes back to like Brene Brown's, uh, one of Brene Brown's favorite quotes that I know you love also, and that's people are hard to hate close up, mm-hmm. right? I love that Brene Brown quote, people are hard to hate close up. And, uh, and, and so uh, in order to do what is right, we have to raise someone who is passionate about hearing other people's stories. And learning them and saying, maybe that is your truth, right? Because so many individuals are out here like, well, black lives, why why are black lives, why are black people so out here with the black lives matter thing? What's going on with them? That's crazy. Of course they matter. They're in this country. Hmm. And it's because no one has ever lived their truth. And so, and so it's just like that. They just, it's immediately disregarded because it's not a part of your truth. So why would anybody else have, why would anybody else have it as a part of theirs? Right. And that is unacceptable. Um, And so the idea of trying to raise someone who uh, is interested in learning multiple angles um, and cares about everybody, regardless of what they think, um, and, and knows that disagreements doesn't mean we need to hate or cancel people. Um, it just means maybe that we li- need to listen more or ask more questions. Uh, I think that is what I want. And, and a lot of that kind of boils down. You know, you came down to kindness, and, and I love kindness. I think this falls under that for sure. sure. So I'm glad to hear we're not way off. <laughs> yeah. uh, phew, kindness. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> um, right. But for me, my father 
Uh, my father imparted a lot about respect. And I, I mm-hmm. talked about this in the Lloyd Alquist episode. Um, and, and my father taught me a lot about uh, what respect is and why it is important and why it matters. Um, and so uh, if you do not listen to someone, then you will never respect them. But it is important that we have respect for other individuals. And so I think that's what it comes down to for me. Respect someone enough to listen to them, to acknowledge them as, hey, fellow human being who has a different path to this exact moment right now in this store, in this meeting, in this office, in this plane, whatever it is, fellow human being, fellow traveler, um, you know, tell me your story. Sure. Uh, and so I think that's that's one thing I'm hoping to do. I love that. Brene Brown lullabies to the kiddo on day one. <laughs> I think daring greatly is the right place to start or too much too fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, we'll just yeah, right, jump right into daring. Yeah, greatly. let's dive right yeah, in. Yeah, for sure. Great. Yeah, that's it. You got shit all over yourself. Let's talk about shame. All right. It seems like a good time to bring up shame. Look at yourself. Clean yourself up. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I love that. Tina, what do you think about, um, as we mentioned earlier, you're a badass entrepreneur um, you. and uh, extremely successful. Um, you talk to other women about why women need women in your pregnancy, in your pregnancy, what has been the role of other women in your journey so far? In pregnancy? In pregnancy, yeah. That's a fascinating question. Uh, it's th- This has been an area, in full disclosure, that has been difficult to practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. Because, well, COVID's part of it, right? But yeah, normally, absolutely. we'd be on the road, right? And so meeting people, going out with people, being in restaurants. Like, if I didn't order a drink, you'd be like, Hang on. <laughs> right. And so I think closed off a part of our network. Yeah. For me, a lot of the women I'm close to don't live right here. Many of them live out and about. And so I think being quarantined made it feel difficult to let people in, but also because of the trauma that we've experienced and because not to return to it too dramatically, but telling people that knew we were pregnant and then we had to explain the loss. That was really challenging. Right. Mm-hmm. That made the whole thing. So, yes. Um, and so, it felt safer to keep it close. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt safer to not talk about it, to, to just like, this was like our little secret in our little apartment and that was it. And so there weren't a lot of people period that I, or we let in early. And for me, not a lot of women um, that I let in early. There were some women that I had been on my fertility journey with, Okay. Um, and so those women played huge parts in in that process, right? Trying to get pregnant. But even that's complicated. Then like one of you crosses the finish line and right, and then that's hard and, and shitty and weird yeah. and awkward and difficult. And so also um, beautiful, right? Like sure. Yeah. Yes. Someone had to be first. Yes. Yeah. Just uh just uh, sensitive to manage. Hard. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so for me, um it, I think it once again, this is a theme. Here, uh, took your encouragement for you to suggest, are you going to let, I have these two women in my life that I talk to every week. Hi Jess, hi Aubrey. I know you're watching. Um, I talk to Jess and Aubrey once a week yeah. and they're two of my closest friends. And we were like 10, 11 weeks into the pregnancy and you kept asking like, are you going to tell them? Yeah. And it felt really scary to let them in because it's scary 
mm-hmm. period, to let anybody in, but especially given everything that we've been through. Yeah. So then one day I did. And since then, they have been two of the biggest advocate cheerleaders cheerleaders like front row seats Mm -hmm. like how big is the baby this week Mm -hmm. right um and so i think between those two women and then my family my sister and my mom Mm -hmm. um and my family on your side my mother-in-law and my sister's-in-law on that side of the family Mm -hmm. so my family women and then my two of my closest lady friends elizabeth too somebody that i let in really early who's been checking up on me so yeah, there's been a small circle. Um, and once I let those women in, it's been incredible um, to have their support and their curiosity. Mm, yeah. um, That's a cool word to describe it, yeah. Yeah, just like what's going on in your body this week? Let's talk about it because mm-hmm. it's crazy. Um, and so that has been really special and I'm really grateful for that. But it took me took me a minute to get there. Yeah. Even though I tell women to let women in literally every day. It's taken some time. Sure. I mean, yeah, the things that we teach are, I mean, they're beautiful, right? Sure. And we know them to be true because they do work, but that doesn't mean that we just jump in, sure. right? Turns yeah. out we still have, I mean, I still have a ton of insecurities. I still, right? I mean, I talk about authenticity and vulnerability and I'm petrified of making friends here because I think that they're going to think I'm weird, um, right? That I care too much about that kind of stuff and that, uh, or, or whatever it is, right? That they're just not going to... Um, that, that it's going to be too much or too whatever, sure. or they want, they have different expectations for a friendship. And so but either way, I guess what I'm saying is, is that, is that the fact that you did it though is incredible, yeah. right? Um, because it's, yes, it would be amazing if all these people left our speeches and then immediately started doing the things, yes. but that's not the way it works. <laughs> no, it goes not. back to what we were talking earlier, where you and I are professional seed planters And we've both received emails, DMs, or whatever from people three years from three years ago that were like, hey, you said a thing to me once, and turns out it was right. (laughs) And it's a beautiful thing, right? Um, But uh, but yeah, um, that's awesome. That was just one thing I guess I've never never asked you about that is in thinking about what you teach, how are you know, what does that look like here and how does that feel? Um, So that I really appreciate your answer. It's been cool to. practice what I preach, right? Like I've been, I don't know that I've been teaching the pregnancy part of it because I talked a lot to college age women. And so pregnancy feels a little bit not right where their brains are at many of them, generally mm-hmm. speaking. Um, but to teach them about in quarantine, in COVID, in this really shitty, unclear time in our lives, yeah. the moments where I have taken the risk to let women in and answer the phone call because Elizabeth's calling me again because she's just wants to care about me or to schedule the time to talk to Jess and Aubrey or to FaceTime my little sister, right? Like every time one of those things happens, I feel better. Yeah. Like there are times where like I'm on the couch and I'm tired and it's like 9 PM and I'm like, I don't want to talk to somebody. Like, <laughs> no, I don't want to FaceTime. I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in doing this, but I don't want to let those people down. So I get on FaceTime and then I have two hour long conversations that make me feel amazing. Yeah. And every time it's like, oh, this is why we do this. <laughs> this is why I teach this. And then to be able to teach those real life examples to the women I work with and have them be like quarantine real life right now examples has yeah. been uh, helpful to reaffirm those messages in my own brain and then helpful to teach them more effectively to the other people that I get to talk to. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That's cool. Yeah. I have one last question for you. 
Um, and it's actually along the same line that we're talking about right now. Um, Jess Ekstrom and I talked about this where, uh, you know, Jess talked about that if she feels like she is 10% ahead of somebody, then she can turn around and help them. Right. I talk about how like mentors in my life are often three years out from me. They're not like these icons of the field. They're three years out from me because their breadcrumbs that they have left for me haven't disintegrated yet. Right. I'm watching the moves they make. I'm watching them actively try, win, succeed, fail uh, and pick themselves up and keep it moving. Right. And, and so. Uh, you are not done with pregnancy yet. No, turns out <laughs> we got a little bit of time. We got a whole bunch of stuff to buy. Um, <laughs> How much stuff does a tiny little person need to it's, survive? It's unfortunate. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Woof. So, so here is my last question for you: If you were going to turn around to somebody who has just found out that they were pregnant. What would you now, what would you turn around and how would you help them uh, with what you have experienced so far? Woof. I have. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. First of all, there's like the, the my like, I'm still angry that the world lies to women about their body answer. Sure. Yeah. Which is like the number, the shit they don't tell you. Mm-hmm. The shit that nobody tells you until you're pregnant. And then all your your friends who have had babies are like, oh my God, let me tell you. And they just like lay it all out on the table. And it's like, what? How am I 33 and just learning that this is what's about to happen to my body? Like, <laughs> yeah. so part of that is women in general need to start talking about pregnancy and childbirth and all of the things without feeling shame about it. Because it turns out it's a freaking beautiful process in the way we like populate the planet, casual, no big deal. Women are superheroes. And we should probably discuss that out loud more often. Facts. But take my like angry pregnant person answer and put that in my pocket for a second. (laughs) Um, I think I would say two things. And one of them is quick because it's exactly the question that you just asked me, which is pregnancy can be lonely. Like I have a partner who is very involved, very curious and who is at this point very used to me sharing all of what's happening because I refuse to go through this by myself. Mm-hmm. And still there's just stuff going on in my body and my brain and my hormones and my heart and my spirit that James can't understand. That even if James were a woman, I don't know that he could understand unless he was or had been pregnant. So mm-hmm. pregnancy can feel really isolating and really lonely because all these things are happening to you. And it feels like they're only happening to you, right? Absolutely. And so you need people. So like having friends who haven't yet had babies, but are super curious about what's happening to my body makes me feel a little less alone and a little less crazy. Talking to other women who have had babies and we're like, um, like Deb Padgett, who's here right now, was like, Tina needed a chiropractor. She was right. (laughs) Oh my God, did I need a chiropractor? And so like having somebody who's been through it it's really easy to like wall off, especially because the first trimester is scary. It's really easy to be like, I'm keeping this to myself. Yeah. But how much better was my pregnancy for me once I started to let people into it, even from a really scared place. But if you have people in your life that you can be scared around, it's better to be scared with people than scared alone, I guess. Yeah. So um, don't, you don't have to do it alone. It's lonely, but you don't have to do it alone. Especially in a world that is constantly telling you that you need to perform, especially as a woman, right? I mean, women are told that 
you're supposed to show up, look flawless, behave perfectly, stay in line, yes. keep it together, yes. don't crack anything, right? Um, and don't show it like you're just supposed to show up having yes. it all together, which is extremely, uh, extremely wrong. Well, and your body's supposed to go through hell and we're never supposed to talk about it, right? right? Like yeah. we don't talk about periods. We don't talk about... PCOS, we don't talk about endometriosis, Like, there's so many physical things that women go through that they have to suffer through in silence yeah. because you have to go to work and perform with a smile on your face. And it's like, women need women <laughs> to talk to you about it. And whether she's pregnant or not, or has any interest in being pregnant, it's still better to do it with somebody else yeah. and to try to shed some of that perfection crap uh, and get it out of the way. So that's the first thing that I would tell somebody is even before you're out of the woods in your first trimester, because turns out things can still go wrong. You need community. I'll be out of the woods, yet I'll be out of the woods, yet I'll be out of the woods, yet I'll be out of the woods. This is genuinely his favorite Taylor Swift song. Great T Swift song. Um, so <laughs> you need people in your life more than just your partner. You need some humans in your life. That's the first thing I would tell somebody. And the second thing I would tell somebody is just because we're pregnant doesn't mean body shaming doesn't still exist. Okay. Doesn't mean body image issues don't still exist. Yeah. In fact, pregnancy can exacerbate a lot of the things that we already have been taught to think about our bodies. And so to be cognizant that your body's changing and to try the things you follow on Instagram, the, the way that you intake what the world is telling you you're supposed to look like as a woman in the world, but then as a pregnant person in the world, becomes a very specific thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, even though your body is doing this amazingly powerful, badass thing, you still have moments where you feel like shit in your body because the world wants women to feel like shit in their body because then it turns out they participate in capitalism and buy a whole bunch of shit they don't need and go on diets that don't work. But again, a whole other podcast. So things are going to happen to your body and it's going to change. And it's going to change the way you look, feel, talk about your body. And I just wish somebody had told me that. Mm -hmm. I don't have a cure for you. I don't have an answer for you. I would just tell you to be prepared for that. And that when you're ready to talk about it, I'm ready to yell with you. That's what I would say. Yeah. Tina, that was beautiful. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for sliding into the diner. <laughs> I don't think I really slide into a booth right for, now. For greasing up and getting here in the diner. Uh, <laughs> uh, I. Uh, it is... It's always an honor to hear the way your brain works. Um, and so thanks for, for coming and wanting to hang out with us here in the diner. I hope you'll hang out. If people have some questions, would you oh, be yeah. willing to, uh, if people have questions about you and I in our relationship yeah. or about what you spoke about motherhood, or I mean, obviously you talk to women about why women need women. If people have questions about any of those things, are you down? You down? Well, I'm pretty shy. Okay. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> folks. So, um, <laughs> I would love to answer questions. Uh, it has been incredible having you here. For those of you that are listening on the podcast, thank you so much for coming out and kicking it with me in the diner, my friends. As always, if you would like to hear the Q&A with Tina, please make sure that you go on to my YouTube channel, type in James T. Robo on YouTube and it'll come up. You can find Tina's episode there uh, and feel free to jump in as there as well. Uh, if you need to leave us now, podcast listeners, thank you so much for coming through. Y'all have a great night. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.